Calvary Church is located in beautiful Peterborough, Ontario, and is committed to impacting that community with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Each week, one of our preaching team draw powerful life application truths from the Bible. Check us out here or online at calvaryptbo.church. Let's play a little uh, word association game. I'm going to say a word. You yell back to me what word comes to your mind right away. Are you ready? Teeter. Ah, you guys know how to do this. Good. All right, let me throw another one. Burger. Yeah, Burger King. Uh, yeah. AC. Way to go, all the electricians out there. Yeah. Nice. Uh, okay, on a day like today, we should get this one right away. Super. Man, <laughs> obviously somebody's not a football fan out there. Oh, uh, yeah, Super Bowl is what I was kind of thinking about, you know. Uh, it should be a good game tonight. I don't know how many of you are wanting to invite me over. Sorry, I can't go tonight. My son has a hockey game, unfortunately. I don't know who scheduled that. I'm going to talk to somebody, though. And, uh, but enjoy the football game. Go KC. That's all I'm going to say. Cool. <clears throat> All right, one last, one last one. Jonah. Yeah, oftentimes that's the problem. Whenever we, uh, whenever, if you're familiar with the story of Jonah, uh, oftentimes what we do is we get so caught up with this whole part of the story about a big fish or a whale, oftentimes it gets associated with, whether it was a whale or not, we don't know, but this big fish. And, uh, and we make that the centrality of the, the story, but in actuality, did you know this big fish, this great fish that is in the story of Jonah is only mentioned in three verses out of the whole book? It's really, it's really insignificant in terms of the life of, uh, of the book and the importance of the book, yet, yet that's what we often associate ourselves with, is Jonah and the whale. Now, some want to call that the uh, VeggieTales effect uh, because of the movie that they put out a number of years ago. But often, you know, I remember growing up through Sunday school, that was often the case as well. We, we talked about Jonah and the big fish, or we talked about Jonah and the whale. But Jonah is so much more than the story or the aspect of that story with regards to the big fish. This is a welcome. I, first of all, I want to welcome you to this week number one of uh, this series called Jonah, Change of Heart. And over the next number of weeks... We are going to be looking at this book of Jonah, and I want to pull out some, some valuable, valuable truths in this story. I think this is a phenomenal story. Now, this is a series that we're doing in partnership with our life groups or our small groups here. And so Myrna Lorenz, who kind of helps run and oversee a lot of the life groups for us here at Calvary, she put a team of people together, and they have been working at nausea over the last number of months, putting together all the material for this. And so this is all homegrown. We did not download this from somewhere else or purchase this from somebody, somewhere else. This is all birthed out of Calvary Church, which I find finas- fas- fascinating, fantastic. I don't know what word I was choosing there, but it's awesome. 
And so I just want to thank Myrna and the team for putting all of this together. And so if you haven't already, you may have, been, you may have already got your book. These are free, available for you at our Welcome Center or out in the lobby at the, at the table where, uh, if there are some still left. If, there, if you haven't got one yet, we will have more, the, and there's none there. We will have more for you next week. So, uh, so make sure you grab one of these books. In there, there's a number of different things. And this is a key aspect of the series over the next number of weeks. And so we want to encourage you to bring this with you on Sundays. We want to encourage you to bring it to Life Group. Carry it with you because there are key components that are all kind of laid out through this book. The one aspect that we want to uh, recognize is the Sunday. So the Sunday service is a key component of this. And in the, on page 8 in the book, you'll see there's, uh, for this Sunday, Introduction to Jonah. There's a spot there where you can take some notes. I encourage you to do that. We want to encourage you to come to take notes. Now, if you're like, oh, I forgot my book at home. Okay, we'll, we'll have the, the sheet for each Sunday available for you. You can pick that up and just be able to take notes and then bring it home and slide it in there. Because we want, you to, we want you to take notes along the way. So there's the Sunday component of this we want to encourage you to do. And, uh, and so there's also the personal devotional component in this each day. Uh, out of the week, almost every day out of the week, we have some aspects where we want you to do some personal devotions. And follow along and read with us through the book of Jonah over the next number of weeks. And so we want to encourage you to do that. And uh, we also, and that starts tomorrow, by the way, so you, you're not behind schedule or anything. You can start tomorrow on your personal devotions through the book of Jonah. The third component is the life groups. The life groups are a key component of this as well. And so we want to encourage you to, if you haven't already signed up, many of you are already signed up in a life group and you've already got your material and you're ready to go. Some of you are even, I believe, meeting tonight for the very first night. That's awesome. If you haven't signed up for a life group yet, there's still time. Roland and Myrna will be at the table in the lobby after the service. I want to encourage you to go there, sign up for a life group, be a part of it, because it's a key component to, to what we're experiencing through this series together. And then the last component of this whole churchwide initiative is the Big Serve. And so we want to encourage you to, uh, to serve. We have a number of people from Calvary Church who are actively workers or active workers in parachurch ministries here in our community. And so we've partnered with a number of them. And, uh, and we said, we want to help you out along this journey. And so as a, maybe as a life group, you're going to do it together. Or as an individual, you're going to say, I want to serve. I want to have a serving component through this this uh, series, and so we want to encourage you to go to our website, calvaryptbo.church, and there'll be a Jonah tab there. You can click on the Jonah tab, and in that, under that tab, you'll find directions as to how you can get plugged into a big serve opportunity. It's a key component. You know, learning the, the truths of Scripture is awesome. Putting it into practice is even better. And so we want to partner those kind of things together. Lots of aspects. So the four key aspects are the Sunday services. Don't miss them. The personal devotions. Do them every day. The life group. Be a part of one. And then the big serve opportunity as well. And this is for everybody. I actually hope that this series is an opportunity for you to say, as Jeremy talked about earlier as our host, He's, he alluded to the fact that we, could, we can disciple others. This is an awesome opportunity 
to pull a couple of people together, maybe even somebody who's never gone to church before, and they're just kind of curious about what we do here at Calvary Church, you can bring them along for the ride. So I want to encourage you to do that as well. You're going to get the most out of this series if you get involved in as many of these aspects, if not all of these aspects, uh, of the series. So do that. Now we, we do this. I, I, we've done this a number of times over the last number of years as, as I've been the lead pastor. We, we do these church-wide campaigns or initiatives, and we do them intentionally. My, my big thing is I want, I want us to, you know, just for a season, we often look at different things based on where we are in life. You know, maybe I'll do a parenting class here, or I'll study, you know, what it means to be a business person or uh, whatever. So we all kind of go down our different journeys at different times throughout the year based on where we are. But I think it's important as a church every once in a while to kind of streamline and go in the same direction for a season. And so we do these church-wide initiatives, for one, for that. But I actually know, because we've kind of proven this, that when we do these church-wide initiatives, we actually find that the level of engagement with the Bible amongst our people actually increases during these seasons. And I've said this a number of different times. We have to be actively engaged in Scripture. We have to. And, uh, and so this is one of the key reasons. I want you to be, to be dealing with this passage of Scripture. I want you to be dealing with the Bible. I want it to be a part of your regular routine that you are spending time with God in His Word. There was a study that was done recently by uh, the Center for Bible Engagement, and they studied over 40,000 people in the U.S., just general population, from ages 8 to 80. And they saw some key factors that, that were very interesting. They said re results revealed that if you engage in Scripture just one time a week, so that means as simple as you coming on a Sunday, and I have a passage of Scripture on, on here, and I say, let's read this, and I read that. That's you engaging one time a week. Even that, that amount of engagement. There is absolutely minimal, if not any, there's no effect whatsoever on your life with that kind of engagement. For those who say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that, but I'm also going to pick it up and I'm going to read my Bible once a week. Again, minimal, if not any, negligible or, uh, in interaction or influence in your life. Three times a week, a little bit of a blimp, but nothing still, nothing major. But as soon as people start engaging with their Bible four times a week, it shoots through the roof in terms of the impact that, uh, that Scripture has on your life. Pay attention to some of these stats. For those who engage at least four times a week, feeling lonely drops 30%. Anger issues drop 32%. Bitterness in relationships, like your marriage or your family or co-workers, etc., that drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. On a positive side, those who are actively engaged in Scripture for four or more times a week... They start sharing their faith and it jumps by 200%. They start discipling others 
that jumps by 230%. You see, being active in the word of God radically changes your life. And people, I desire for our lives to be changed. I desire for my life to be changed. I've been doing ministry now for over 20 years, but I still pick up my Bible on a daily basis. I still try almost every year to read through the entire Bible. Why? Because there's so much that I still need to learn. There's so much that you still need to learn. And so actively being engaged in the Word of God changes your life. And we got to be about doing that. So get involved in this Jonah series and have a, have a change of heart. <laughs> that's, the, that's the change. Oh, you guys are a little slow this morning. <clears throat> All right, so let's, uh, let's change a gear here. I want to give some, uh, some history for the remainder of our time here this morning. I want to give some history on the book of Jonah. Because as we begin to study, I think a little background information is helpful as we read through this. Oftentimes we pick it up and we begin to read and we kind of just read through the book not having a, a sense of where the writer was and what he was writing about and the season and the culture in which he was writing in. And, and sometimes we, well, oftentimes our default is to process the information through our lens and how we see things in this year 2020. But that's, that sometimes misses a significant uh, component to the book. And so let me give you a couple of uh, some background information just as we begin this. There are only really two characters that are defined in this book. There are, others, there are other characters that play a part, yes, but only two, two characters that are really defined by name. That's Yahweh or God, who is the, the God of, of Israel or the Jews or the Hebrews. All those terms are interchangeable. And there was Jonah, son of Amittai, those are the only two real characters. And so what we're going to do is on Sundays, we're actually going to focus on the God component and the character uh, aspects that we see of God in the book of Jonah. The life groups are going to be more focused towards who Jonah was and how, how we may just be more like Jonah than, uh, than what we thought. And so that's the, the focus we're going to take over, the, over this. Sundays are going to be about the characteristics of God. Life groups are going to be about who Jonah was and how we may relate to him. Now, the book of Jonah is found in the Old Testament amongst what's been called the book of the 12 in the Jewish tradition or in the church tradition, we call it the 12 minor prophets. And it's a compilation of 12 smaller books near the end of the Old Testament. And they were all written by prophets, uh, recognized prophets in the, in the Jewish history. And they're not minor because of their lack of significance. They're minor because they're just small. But they carry potent information that I think is important for us. Now, all of the, all of the 12 um, books that we have in the, in the Minor Prophets, they, they carry oracles or, or words of the Lord that God has given to a, a certain person in the Old Testament, and that person was to proclaim that. Now, 11 of these, 12, proclaim to the nation of Israel or Judah, the people of God, the chosen people of God in the Old Testament. And they are words of affirmation or words of repentance or whatever. They give different meanings, but they're always to the nation of Israel except one, the book of Jonah. Jonah is bizarre compared to the other 12. 
It's, uh, it, there's a lot of, of challenges with the book of Jonah. And so, uh, so basically all of the other ones are the same, but Jonah stands out because there's only a couple of verses where the prophecy or this word of the Lord comes. And it's given to Jonah to go to this city, this wicked city called Nineveh, to repent of their wickedness. God says it twice to Jonah. And it's just a couple of verses in the whole book. The rest of it is a narrative of, uh, of how Jonah reacts to this word of the Lord. It's completely different than the rest. It's, this book has been described as satire, as, uh, as a parable, as allegory, as historical, as prophetic narrative. It has all of these literary terms that's thrown at it. And a lot of people just, just you know, they're not quite certain how to take the book of Jonah. When it comes to the dating of the book, it's difficult as well. Historically, 2 Kings 14 tells us that the person of Jonah, this prophet, lived in the 8th century BC. During the days of Jeroboam II, uh, the wicked king of Judah. And, and it says that Jonah came and prophesied that, that he was supposed to expand his territory. And, and so this wicked king of Judah is exactly what he did. He expanded the territory of Judah. But when the book of Jonah was written... We're not 100% certain. And we don't know by whom. Was it written by Jonah? Maybe. A lot of people assume it's not, though. And was it written right after Jonah was around or shortly thereafter? Maybe. But some say that it may have been as, as, as far along the way as, uh, as three, the 3rd century. So 300, 300 years before the time of Christ, B.C., so you have this like 500-year gap as to when it may have been written. We're not 100% certain. Most, though, would say that it was close, written close to the 8th century timeline. And then when it comes to the purpose of the book, well, that hinges then on how you interpret its literary genre, literary genre and its dating. How you interpret that will then determine how you see the book of Jonah. Now, although I lean towards seeing Jonah as the actual event that happened, I can't say that it's completely factual. Do I believe that there was a prophet named Jonah that was given a word from God to go to a wicked city of Nineveh and tell them to, uh, to repent? Only to say, I'm not doing that, and go the complete opposite direction. Find himself on a boat, gets caught up in this storm that God brought up to make sure that he doesn't get to Joppa. They, the people on the boat throw him overseas because that's what Jonah says. Hey, listen, uh, that's probably the best way to do it. So they chuck him over. He gets swallowed up by a big fish, has a prayer in the middle of the belly of the fish for three days, gets spit out on dry land. God speaks to him again. He finally goes to Nineveh, tells them to repent. They do. Does that, did that happen? Yeah, I think I, I would say yes, it did. Was that an occurrence that happened? Yes, it was. Is it completely factual as we see it here? That I don't know. He seems to go to some extremes. The word, he uses this word great in the Hebrew language 15 times. And it's, a, it's a, a term of extreme. And he goes, you know, it's the great wicked city of Nineveh. It's the great fish. It's the great storm. And he's got all these greats. And, uh, and so 
So we're not quite sure, like he's got some twists and turns and ups and downs, and it seems like, it kind of reminds me of my fishing stories. You know, I went, I went fishing, and I caught a fish. By the time I got back to, uh, to shore, uh, after I released the fish, and I started telling my story, I caught a fish. And, uh, and then by the time I get home and I start telling the family, I caught a fish. And it seems like the further away from when I actually caught the fish, the fish gets a little bigger. You know, and that seems to be somewhat of, I, I wonder if that's ne necessarily what's happening here. The writer is going to extremes. He's kind of not, he's kind of embellishing the story a little bit to make a point. Uh, is the story factual in the fact that it happened? Yes. But was it at that magnitude? Maybe not. That's not really the point of what he was trying to get at, though. He wanted to, the writer wanted to make a specific point to us. And that's what we're going to be journeying through over the next number of weeks. What is the writer really saying to us through this? Now, I want just to make this clarification. Whether or not Jonah was actually swallowed up by a big fish and in the belly for three days. Did that actually happen? I can't verify whether or not it did. But regardless, that doesn't, someone, some want to take that, that moment and they get hung up on that kind of point and they say, well, obviously, if you don't believe that, then you don't believe in the supernatural. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. God definitely does work in miraculous ways. Could that have happened? I most definitely believe it could. Did it? I don't know. I don't know. It all hinges on how you interpret the, the literary genre. But regardless, I don't want us to dismiss the supernatural and say, well, obviously it can't happen. No, it still can happen today. God can do some amazing things in our lives if we allow him to. And so, uh, so let's not, let's not uh, go to that extreme. <clears throat> I have to say, though, in many respects, I, I feel... I feel for Jonah. The story pegs him as somewhat of a tyrant. Well, he, he was. I'm not going to deny that. But as we shall, and we'll see all that over the next number of weeks, but I'm not sure I can really blame him for his actions. See, these Ninevites were, were wicked people. Nineveh was not part of Israel. So they were not Jews. They were not, they were not the cho part of the chosen people. And, and Jonah's mission was to go to this wicked city and tell them to repent. So there's already that problem. Go to the enemy and tell them to turn to God. Pardon? Uh, we are the chosen people, not them. Ninevites were part of Assyria. Listen to what one commentator says with regards to these, this, this group of people. He says, In the 8th century, Assyria had already established a hundred-year-old reputation throughout the Near East as a cruel enemy. 
Near the end of Jonah's life, Assyria was rising to its greatest height of power and terror. The Assyrian kings were proud of their cruel and terrible reputation and went to great trouble and expense to record the exploits of their posterity. Archaeologists have uncovered many reliefs or these large stone tablets with, with panel or wall panels with uh, carved depictions of what they would do. And they had these grisly post-battle scenes uh, erected in palaces so that they could be seen daily by those who come. In addition, written descriptions of post-battle tortures of prisoners were preserved. Gruesome details and horrific boasting. Records brag of live, live dismemberment, often leaving one hand attached so they could shake it before a person died. Parades of heads requiring friends of the deceased to carry them on elevated poles. Stretching live prisoners with ropes so they could be skinned alive. Then displayed on city walls and on poles. They pulled out the tongues and testicles of live victims and burned the young alive. These people weren't nice. Think about that for a few minutes. And Jesus, or sorry, God says to Jonah, Hey Jonah, go visit the Ninevites. Given this historical context, the prophet Jonah was in a difficult situation. Yahweh asked him to go to his cultural enemies and proclaim judgment on the city. He was asked to risk his life preaching and had no guarantees that he would, like every other unwelcome prophet, he would not be killed like them. Yet if he succeeded in his mission and they did repent... Well, he's not going to be welcomed back to Israel. He was caught between a rock and a hard place. We jump on Jonah pretty quick. And we say, you know, he's a narrow-minded man. Yet, do you, really, do you really blame him? I was, a couple weeks ago, I was in... Uh, Poland, and got to uh, experience a tour through Auschwitz, the concentration camp. And, uh, and we would go through the different barracks here and the different barracks there, and they had displays and pictures of all the horrific things that were going on during that time in, uh, in World War II. And one display would have, you know, old shoes that were there from... Uh, from all of the, the um, people in the camp, um, suitcases were in another one, you know, different things like that. This one room we went in, it was a fairly large room, and it had a, uh, a big glass case in an L shape through the room, and you kind of walked in, and they asked us not to take any pictures while we were in this room. As we walked through, the case was full with mounds and mounds of hair. The actual hair from the prisoners in the concentration camp. That one, that one hit me hard. Our tour guide said that there was an estimate of, you know, she said this is a very conservative estimate. 1.1 million Jews alone were killed in the gas chambers at Auschwitz. 
See, the things that happened during that war were atrocious. And I don't think there's any individual here who has a lot of sympathy for Hitler and all that he did. But let me, let me give you a word from the Lord today. Put yourself back into that context of World War II. And God says to you, leave Canada, fly over or take a boat over to Germany, head into Berlin. I want you to say to Hitler, get the Hitler right in front of his face and say, Hitler, repent. I want you to go and do that. How'd you feel? Yeah, that's what we see Jonah having to do. Jonah's not an easy book. The Sunday school lessons that we learned don't really do it justice. I'm really excited about this series because I'm convinced that if we take this series serious and we walk through this, I think you're going to find you're a lot more like Jonah than you thought you were. And I think it's going to challenge you to have a change of heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I pray that you would speak to us, communicate to us clearly, Lord, through this series. Some may need their life changed, hearts changed. Would we do that? Would you do that for us? Help us, Lord, I pray, in this endeavor. Amen.